At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome back, Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a practicing preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute at Baptist Health South Florida, as well as Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. A year ago at this time, few of us could have imagined how our lives would change in 2020. More than one and a half million people have died in the COVID-19 pandemic, which still rages on. We do have reasons to hope that 2021 will be brighter. New therapies and effective vaccines are now available to fight the disease. I recently hosted an episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program that focused on the very latest developments in the COVID battle and what lies ahead in the new year. The panel of experts included Madeline Camejo, PharmD, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Vice President of Pharmacy Services at Baptist Health, Samer Fami, MD, Chief Medical Officer at Boca Raton Regional Hospital, and Rachel Evers, RN, Director of Surgical Services at Baptist Hospital. Let's listen in to what they had to say. The vaccine, Madeline, can we take a few minutes to answer a handful of, of the most frequently asked questions? Sure. How about, how about who should get the vaccine? It's, it's all over the news. Everyone wants the vaccine. Um, we know there are major medical and ethical decisions that came into play for the recommendations. So where right now does the CDC and the Florida Department of Health have their recommendations regarding how the vaccine should be rolled out in various populations? So there, they follow, uh, there is a national standards and guidelines that they follow, and it usually goes at who is the highest risk and most vulnerable to the population or who's treating. So in that case, it's always going to be healthcare workers because we want to make sure that they're protected to be able to continue treating patients. And then the second is usually the most vulnerable patient population that are being cohorted. So when you look at what's happening is we've had many thousand, we've had over 75,000 uh, deaths in nursing homes, especially here in South Florida. And those are the things that we need to look at um, making sure that they get the vaccine and stop the spread. Um, so basically there is a specific guidelines and it's first it's healthcare workers, the emergency responders, uh, uh, nursing home patients. That is in the first uh, phase, what they call 1A. 1B is once all of those people are vaccinated or the majority, more than 60% is vaccinated, then we start going on into the next phase. And the next phase becomes then patients who are at uh, high morbidity risk or other uh, types of folks like meat plant workers, essential workers that are needed in the United States, that would be in the 1B phase. And then it goes out from there, then it's teachers, then it's um, you know everyone out in the public who, who they depend on for us to be able to do our living. And then the last is always the general population. If you're healthy, you've had no risk, you're last. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, everyone wants it. Well, we want everyone to want it and everyone wants it. And I think um, part of the education and the messaging is that it'll happen, but let it get to the people who basically need it the most, not as individuals, but in their role within our society. Talk us, tell us a little bit about what happened yesterday, which is very exciting, that we're already now vaccinating our, our frontline healthcare workers. Um, one of the considerations that we had to do, we had to take in at Baptist Health to be able to get the vaccine, store it. It's not just something we have in our garage and we open up a box and we, 
we give someone a shot. Can you speak a little bit to the logistics so people can understand how complicated it is? Sure. So, you know, vaccines are very, very um, delicate medications. They usually have to be frozen. Some are frozen depending on how they're made. Some have to be stored in cold freezers. You know, the Pfizer vaccine is one that is really unique and that has to really be stored at minus 80 degree temperature. So it comes out of Pfizer, actually Pfizer's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It is flown directly to our airports and then it's shipped directly to your uh, pharmacy, which houses these ultra cold freezers. They get unpacked, they're monitored every step of the way because we cannot lose the cold chain storage. And then it gets put into the freezers. In order for us to vaccinate, then we have to then thaw out three hours before we start our vaccination routine and then we have to put them into a refrigeration. It takes three hours to dethaw from refrigeration or 30 to uh, 40 minutes uh, in regular room temperature, but you have to maintain it to keeping it cool. Because once you put the vaccine together and you put a diluent in it, you only have six hours to use the vaccine or you lose stability and uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, last question to Madeline before we, we move on to, to, to Sam and Rachel. How does the vaccine work? Why is this different than previous vaccines, which were, um, you know, live vaccines or you know, whole viruses that are inactive? And speak a little bit about why we're so comfortable that this rapidly developed vaccine is safe. So um, normally people are used to the flu vaccine and why it takes so long on time with flu is that the, the proteins are grown in eggs. This is such a completely different platform and I want to make, I want people to understand that this platform has been around a long time because other cancer drugs were based, actually based on this platform. So for us, example, there is no live virus in this vaccine. So if you get vaccinated, you're not going to get COVID-19 because there's nothing live that goes through it. And the way it works is that they're manufactured proteins and, they're, and, and what they're called is messenger RNA molecules. And what they do is they send messages to your body to instruct your cells to produce proteins so that they in turn trigger your immune system. And that's how they begin to produce antibodies to fight the coronavirus. Um, Sam and Rachel, um, we'll start with Sam. What are your thoughts about receiving the vaccine? Are you planning on getting it? You're going to planning on having family members get it. Um, and you know, with that, what are your hopes for how the vaccine can protect um, um, people at risk? Um, Sam, you wanna start? Sure, so um, there's no doubt that I will stand in line and I will get my vaccine. Um, you know, in terms of review of, the, of what the FDA has put out and what Moderna and Pfizer have put out as data, the most common reactions are really local reactions, which is just arm pain where you get the shot, maybe a bit of, uh, of fatigue, muscle aches, but most of those reactions that are listed disappear within one or two days. So um, it, to me, it seems like the safety profile was outstanding from these vaccines. And yes, although mRNA sounds like it's a genetic material, keep in mind that this genetic material never really enters the nucleus of your cell where your DNA is. There, there's no way that this alters your DNA or changes you, changes you in any way. This is simply a, a message that your cells in your body use to produce the protein that normally would reside on top of the COVID virus, the spike protein. So once the spike protein gets into your blood, your immune system looks at it and makes antibodies that are specific to it so that when you do get 
exposed to the real virus, they can attack it and they can kill it off before it gets you sick. And I think that's the real, the real magic of the science behind it. It really is a breakthrough in science, in science. And the fact that it was created in less than a year is a testament to the hard work that, that, that our scientists have put into this to, to make sure that we get it and that it's, it, it's safe and it's effective. And the data really show that. Once we get this to enough people, um, you know, we, can, we can go back to normal. And I think this gives us hope to going back to normal. And, and that's, that's what's really exciting about it. Rachel, what are your thoughts? Are you planning on getting the vaccine? Does this make you optimistic um, at the forefront and the healthcare tip of, say, the healthcare worker tip of the spear of uh, the effects of uh, COVID on on, um, on you, your family, and um, your coworkers? Absolutely. I'm anxiously awaiting my turn. Um, obviously, my peers at the front line need to go first because they are on the front lines working with the COVID patients every day, especially our high risk units such as the ER, the ICU. So I am happy for them and anxiously awaiting for that next group to go and extremely grateful that it's here. I'm kind of with Sam that I feel this sense of hope, this sense of a light at the end of the tunnel. This has been an emotional journey for healthcare providers. And, and I know everyone out in the community, there's been no one that hasn't been touched by this disease, whether it's loss or struggles. And I just feel so much hope that 2021 can bring something different. We can go back to looking at each other's smiles, getting together, hugging each other. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. This is definitely a, a, a good light at the end of the tunnel and I'm, and I'm excited to get my vaccine as well. You know, we're all waiting for that moment when we go back to normal and we don't have to wear masks and we don't have to distance, but I don't wanna give the wrong message. Just because you got this vaccine doesn't mean that you're immediately, that you immediately should take off your mask or that we should stop the precautionary measures that we have in place. We know this is going to take a while before a, good, a large enough portion of the population takes the vaccine and before whether we figure out whether somebody that has an asymptomatic you know, infection can transmit it or not, whether you got the vaccine or not, that wasn't looked at in the trials, whether, some, whether these people were asymptomatic and able to give it to somebody else. So we have to be careful until we know more information. You, 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 we've been doing this too long, Sam, because you beat me to the punch. I was about to ask you that exact thing. Um, <laughs> getting the vaccine, especially now until months go by and we have that herd immunity, which we are going to address, um, everyone should still wear masks, proper social distancing. Don't you know, be close in, indoors um, um, because we don't know if you're immune, number one. We don't know if you can still transmit the virus if you get it from someone else, if you're exposed to it from someone else, even if you have the immunity should not change anyone's behavior or patterns at all until down the road when our healthcare um, uh, professionals and public health um, leaders um, give us those guidance. So, so keep that in mind. What else is um, going on? What's the update on you know, convalescent plasma and some of the other therapies that um, you've been leading in the efforts of evaluating? Sure. So uh, we are armed today with many more tools at our disposal than we were back in March and April when this pandemic first hit us. Um, there's a couple of medications that have even gotten FDA authorization, not just emergency use authorization or approvals. So, you know, the mainstays of treatment in many of our hospitals are medications like remdesivir and dexamethasone, so a steroid and an antiviral drug. Um, those are great, especially when you give them early on in the, in the disease process that they can prevent the lung damage from occurring if you develop COVID pneumonia or before you develop COVID pneumonia. So, 
they're great medications. We're using them quite a bit in our hospitals for patients that qualify. And we are seeing positive effects of that. No doubt that we have a lower mortality today than we did you know, nine or 10 months ago when this, when this started. And a lower percentage of our patients are ending up in the ICU because of the use of those meds. And, 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 and even more, we have medications for people that have mild or moderate symptoms that do not require hospitalization. So if you're not sick enough to be in the hospital, there's now immunotherapy with medications like bamlanivimab and Regeneron, where we can use these drugs to prevent the progression of disease in people who are not too sick. Now you'd have to qualify for it if you're 65 or above, or if you're 55 to 64 and you have other comorbid conditions like, um, you know, like diabetes or heart disease or lung disease, you may be able to qualify for that. And that really takes some of these high-risk patients and reduces the amount of patients that end up in the hospital, almost by 70% in the studies that, that were published. So really exciting treatments that we have at our disposal today to be able to use, um, to, use to prevent progression and to treat patients once they're hospitalized, uh, if that happens. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the Baptist Hospital, Baptist Health Hospital's experiences. Rachel, um, you know, we've, we've discharged over 8,000 COVID patients across the system since 8,000, and, you know, each of those had significant impact on our staff, of course, and, and our healthcare workers. Um, we talked a little bit about the optimism. Um, talk a little bit. Uh, it's a great chance for everyone to understand the, 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 you know, the quality and dedication of our staff. And I always want to come to you with an update since um, it's a moving target. Give us a little sense of, um, of, of you know, the impact of the COVID on the staff and, and the mood. Well, we have our moments of our highs and lows, right? So last week, just here at Baptist, we discharged our 2000th patient. Healthcare providers in general do a really bad job of taking care of themselves. We tend to take care of ourselves last, but I think that we've learned through this journey that we have to take care of one another. We have to take care of, of ourselves so that we can continue to care for these patients in the community. We have the COVID patient population. We also have our general population that are dealing with cancer, other comorbidities. We of course want people to come to the hospital to receive the care that they need. So it's a constant collaboration between all the interdisciplinary departments to ensure that we are giving the highest quality care, that the patients are in the right place to get exactly what they need, the right services they need, that we have the right supplies that we need. But it ultimately uh, comes down to everybody wants to step in this door every single day and take care of the patients. And we have to care for each other or else we're not going to be able to get through this. Like we said, there's the light, but this is still, this is still a marathon. We still have a ways to go. We have to take care of ourselves so that we can continue to celebrate these moments like discharging so many patients. Um, Sam, herd immunity, another buzzword that's been out there took on some implications beyond what we wanted. Arguably, that's how all vaccines work. Can you speak a little bit about what, what herd, herd immunity is? Sure. So we know that the, the SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID virus is um, very transmissible from one person to the next. We know that if, 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 if you're in a group or in a party, one person can spread it to many more people in that small group. And that's why we've been saying no large gatherings since the beginning of, of this disease. So the concept of herd immunity is think it, you know, it surrounds the idea that if you have enough people in a gathering that are immune or enough people in society that are immune because they got vaccinated or because they've previously been exposed to the virus and recovered, that you're not able to transmit it to as many people. 
Now, the, the percentage of people that need that immunity to really halt the virus's transmission differs greatly based on how infectious that virus is. Some viruses that are not highly infectious, you may only need 50% of the population to have immunity. Uh, but the theory behind COVID-19 is that you'd need up to 75, 80% of people to have immunity for you to really halt the transmission and to slow it down to the point where, again, we can, we can go back to normal. We can, we can start uh, loosening on our restrictions with masking and social distancing and gathering. Um, so to achieve that, it's, it's going to take a huge um, you know, public health um, information campaign to make sure that people understand that this is a safe and effective vaccine. The worst way to accomplish herd immunity is to wait for everybody to get infected. You would lose the weakest and most vulnerable members of our society, our, our, you know, our, 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 our grandparents, our elderly or, or, or chronically ill people that, that we all have around us uh, that are living normal lives now. You don't wanna expose them to the virus in, in hopes of getting to, to herd immunity. The best way to accomplish it is by vaccination and a strong vaccination campaign to, to let people know that when we hit that number, we do have that light at the end of the tunnel and we can go back to, to returning to normal. So we could achieve herd immunity through vaccination if we get enough, four out of every five people in the country to, to, to step up and get vaccinated. And, and, and honestly, at this point, we're not really clear how long that immunity will last, but, um, but, but hopefully it lasts many months to years, which is, which is the anticipated time that it should last. And if that's the case, then, then great. That immunity will last for quite a while and we may not have to get revaccinated again for, 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 for years. Madeline, what, what do we tell people who are kind of afraid of vaccines or, or you know, distressed vaccines? What, 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 what can we message them to kind of get them to be responsible and take the vaccine for the herd immunity? So my question to them, it's, it's, all, it's really a personal choice. You can't make a horse, you know, drink water. You can lead them there, but you can't force them. Um, I think the biggest thing is what's the risk? You know, uh, COVID-19 is a huge gamble. It affects everybody differently. I have seen young people uh, come in where they have now had to have lung transplants that you would have never thought that would happen to somebody who was young. I have seen a 94 year old go out like of nothing, but we have had too many deaths. And so the, the question is, is getting a vaccine that you might have a little bit of side effects, a big deal, or do you wanna face, you know, possibly dying from COVID-19? Because there is no guarantees. It works differently on everybody and it is not the same. Just because I didn't get anything and I have no symptoms does not mean you are that nothing's gonna to happen to you. And again, if you have any other type of, if you're hypertensive, if you have a heart condition, you know, these are other types of uh, diseases that put you at a much higher risk than someone who is pretty, plenty and healthy. And, and just to give you another example, I know specifically of a teenage track, track star who um, was in top athletic shape, never had anything, got COVID and now can no longer be at, can no longer run track. His lungs are pretty much, uh, uh, they're very difficult. He's having difficult recovering. So, you know, again, if you wanna, it, it's really is a personal choice, but come on, let's get vaccinated. Let's get right. all, uh, you know, so that we all can then get really stop spreading this disease and, and, and get to, to herd immunity. Uh, Sam, 
other treatments coming up? Is there anything um, in development for COVID that we're excited about? Yeah, the, the amount of scientific study that surrounded uh, this virus over the last year is, is truly amazing. Um, and there's always cutting edge treatments that we're uh, investigating. Um, and throughout Baptist Health South Florida, we have several clinical trials that are ongoing with newer therapies that we're looking for to treat patients. Um, things like um, stem cells and stem cell use, especially for advanced disease, because a lot of the therapies that we have focus on early disease and preventing progression of disease, but we have less treatments once somebody's really sick or intubated on a ventilator in the ICU, what do you do then? And stem cells are offering hope in that, in that patient population. And uh, we have a, some clinical trials ongoing right now in, in multiple hospitals throughout Baptist where we can provide this treatment for, for patients, again, with, with more advanced disease. Um, we also are, are testing things like uh, anticoagulation or blood thinners. Uh, we know that patients with COVID-19 have a much higher likelihood of getting blood clots. And, and, and we're investigating right now whether giving somebody a full dose blood thinner would really prevent them from progressing to, to developing blood clots. There's also studies around radiation therapy that um, through our, our cancer institute we're running here to, to try, again, patients with lung damage. If we give a very low dose of radiation to the lungs, could that prevent the progression? Could that get them better? And some of these results are, are quite promising. So always on the cutting edge, always trying to figure out what's going to help our patients every, uh, in every possible way. And I think some of these investigational uh, you know, trials are, 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 are excellent and, and we're really happy to be participating in them. Um, last question, and again, we'll wrap up and you guys have been wonderful um, and I'll throw it out to anyone. Um, any, any information we can, be get, we can give regarding dates of rollouts for the different um, groups of people who are candidates? So our guess is, my, my guess would be that we're gonna stay in phase one and uh, for all the healthcare workers and the long-term care folks, probably till about mid-February, um, until more and more vaccine come to the market, then the faster we can get through the phases. But as of right now, um, I would say probably that phase two would probably be from February till about April. And then maybe the, we could probably see us getting to the general public closer to early spring, um, I mean, late spring, early summer. If you'd like to watch the full episode of Resource Live, there's a link in the notes for this podcast. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics for the podcast, email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thank you for listening. We wish you a happy and healthy holidays. Stay safe and mask up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.